everyone. Welcome to the Next Year Amigos podcast. We have paper of the month. We have a, a unique paper of the month, our first non-GU paper. Uh, Elena Janjigian from Memorial is with us to talk about some immunochemotherapy data, uh, at least two separate trials in gastric cancer. So, Elena, welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself briefly and then maybe start with talking about you know, immune therapy and gastric cancer broadly, what was known before the study, which will be unfamiliar to most of our audience. Sure, sure. Thanks, uh, Brian and Tom, for having me. It's an honor. I, uh, so I'm a medical oncologist and chief of GI oncology service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Uh, for the past several years, I've been focusing on trying to bring immunotherapy uh, to our patients. In probably sometime, you know, 2015 or so, uh, maybe even earlier, we saw initial uh, data to, to support that, you know, clinical use of pembrolizumab uh, in in, in uh, treatment refractory in certain third line setting in gastric cancer. And also, uh, so this was a single arm phase two study demonstrating uh, survival uh, benefit in the low teens, so like 14% uh, in patients, uh, rather response rate without a clear um, uh, comparator arm. So it was based on historical control. So the FDA approved pembrolizumab in later lines after chemotherapy uh, failure based on just promising response and uh, promising survival. Uh, and simultaneously in Asia, nivolumab was approved also in pretreatment, heavily pretreated patient population based on survival benefit, but against placebo. So in later lines, uh, so that was a traction for study. So we knew that once chemotherapy stops working and there's really nothing other than really like, you know, uh, homeopathic remedies, uh, immunotherapy improved outcome in selected patient population. We have MSI, we have EBV, uh, patients that are uh, sensitive, high PD-L1 overexpressing tumors. In gastric, we use combined positivity score, which takes stroma and the tumor component. Mostly it's the stroma component. Uh, TPS is not a predictor. So that was uh, then. And then, uh, you know, a few years later, the first study read out, Keynote 62, which was in a head-to-head -head comparison in biomarker selected using CPS one as a cutoff, which is a very low um, sort of uh, selection. Most patients, I would say, 80% of gastric tumors are CPS1 or higher. Um, and using that cutoff, Keynote 62 failed to demonstrate in first-line setting, sort of similar to what um, I think what you guys experienced in GU, that uh, immunotherapy uh, compared to chemotherapy did not improve survival. In fact, what happens repeatedly in GI tumors, even in MSI tumors, for the first uh, six, sometimes nine, sometimes 12 months, depending on the study, the curves always cross in favor of chemotherapy. Um, and then later, uh, you know, there's a nice plateau on the survival curve, but it's a little too late for the immunotherapy arm and the hazard ratio typically is not significant for outcome. So Keynote 62 failed to demonstrate benefit uh, chemo versus uh, immunotherapy and chemotherapy won out. In fact, in that subset, in that this was a smaller study, uh, splitting alpha over five, you know, different hypotheses. So they did have a chemo IO arm, um, and that didn't look good either. And I think there was uh, trial design and sample size, et cetera. 
but Keynote 62 completely, um, you know, uh, was a negative study, essentially. That, that sounds like one of Tom's trials, like splitting out. I was going to say, this is a summary of my career. I know. Luckily, I didn't run that study, luckily. Uh, I, my name was not anywhere near it, because I, I think I was too, you know, like. Well, I'd have been close to the front of that trial. I, probably I was too uh, focused on our small investigator-initiated studies, and sometimes that kind of detract, you know, kind of. You can't open all the large studies, but what I liked about Chickmate 649, first of all, they let me write it, and then also uh, they let us include adenocarcinoma patients, both esophagus, G-junction, and stomach. In other words, we made it a very clinically sort of um, um, intuitive and organic enrollment as opposed to making artificial distinctions between, you know, where, you know, which three centimeters of the GI tract you happen to be in, which what historically what um, tumors patients, uh, you know, have been uh, uh, sort of, you know, tortured over. Um, so we, we excluded squames, we only included adenos. And, um, and I think it's, it, I mean, it was a large study, but it was based on Checkmate 32, which uh, was also in JCO, that looked at higher doses of IPI, so NEVO 1 IPI 3 versus NEVO, 1, uh, NEVO 3 IPI 1, and it looked like the higher dose of IPI was needed in gastric, and in later lines, also kind of giving you a sense for what the data looked like, we had a 26% overall response rate. Which so, Yelena, like can, I, can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. So, essentially what you got then is you got... Uh, in in second line, you've got a CTLA-4 signal that you're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, you've got marginal activity for single-agent therapy, and you haven't nailed the biomarker. So it, sounds very, it sounds very similar to bladder cancer in that respect. Exactly. The big trial, which you published in Nature, and that big trial was um, CTLA-4, IPI-NEVO, IPI-3-NEVO-1 versus chemotherapy nevo no, that standard. one, so we selected AP3. Uh, so we did uh, NEVO1 AP3 in the oh, Checkmate right. because that was looked better in Checkmate 32. We've done, we've done exactly the same in bladder cancer. We've got 901 doing exactly the same question. And so what were the results of that randomized phase three that you just put in Nature? So the Nature was a two-year follow-up uh, survival. Basically, the initial paper was published in Lancet last year, which led to the FDA approval of Fulfox nivolumab in all comers. So uh, Checkmate 649 was a large study that enrolled all patients, and then the primary endpoint was is in CPS5 or greater. And both the primary endpoint and an all intent to treat population, it was a positive signal. It's a dose-response relationship. So as you would expect, the higher the CPS score, the better the, the lower the hazard ratio. So for CPS 10 or greater, like the hazard ratio is closer to 0.66 or something like that. And then for um, all comers, the hazard ratio is like 0.8, right? Um, and But the large majority of all comers are CPS 5 or greater because that's 60% of the population. And you know, so just to clarify, yeah. the Nature paper is two separate trials. One was chemo one plus trial. minus. Oh, it's one trial. One trial, one trial with two follow-up of Checkmate 649, including the Nevo-IPI arm. I see. Yeah. Okay. And the IPI-Nevo arm was the new piece. The, the old piece was the chemo combination with Nevo. That's positive is now a standard of care. And what you were essentially presenting in this paper was the IPI-3 Nevo-1 data, which we haven't seen before. That's right. And what, and what did that show? It showed, unfortunately, that, again, if you do well on Nevo uh, IPI, you have a pos possible chance of cure. I mean, we have long-term survivors, even after two years. 
but it's not good enough to beat chemo in most patients. And the survival curves cross in favor of chemo for the first pretty much up to a year. Uh, if you do respond, your duration of response is doubled. It showed that in MSI patients, the response is like, is pretty awesome, is 70%. Uh, and again, some patients with MSI tumors, which now we test upfront for early stage and stage four disease, um, less of a thing in GU, certainly not in prostate, but in bladder, it's a, it's a uh, biomarker. But, you know, nevo-AP was not good enough. And I think part of the reason why is because, again, we don't have a great biomarker. PDL one even, you know, using CPS or TPS was not a clear cut biomarker. MSI was useful, but it's a small, it's only 3% of the population. Um, and chemo works in this disease. Uh, and gastric cancer, although is sort of a relatively warm-ish tumor, it's just not hot enough to, for it to, to, you know, shrink fast enough with immunotherapy. These patients are sick. They just die of their disease if you don't induce response. Elena, am I right? Go ahead, Tom. It's a couple of questions for the bladder cancer community. Number one, we're gonna, we've got the 901 trial. It's very similar. Chemotherapy is quite good at getting control of disease. Bladder cancer has a high TMB and a high T effector signature, but we know single agent immune therapy is not great at getting in control of the disease. We're not sure CTA4 is going to make that big difference. And so we have this kind of fear that we may be reproducing this, although we have had some really, a really good tail on the curve. Yeah. My first question is, is IP3 NEVO1 an easy regime to give to people who maybe are in their seventh or eighth decade of life with comorbidities, as is the case with urethelial cancer? You know the answer to that. Absolutely not. It's not easy. <laughs> it's, a, it's not an easy uh, regimen to give. Uh, and in fact, you know, the study was that arm, we closed it early because there were early deaths and some of it was from, you know, toxicity, some of it was for progression. Uh, but IP3 uh, is not, you know, it's not for some, for a person, um, for a regular person, you know, who's like in the community may not have the backup of a tertiary cancer center behind them. It's, it's not an easy regimen. My second question, I'm going to hand over to Brian, is that we are kind of convinced ourselves that the TC biomarker, not the stromal biomarker, but the tumor cell staining in urethelial cancer may be more predictive than prognostic. And therefore, in PDL1 expression in TC high patients, we feel we're going to get over the line because we're going to be leaving behind some of those individuals who do less well with immune therapy. Did you have the same hypothesis in your trial and was it proven to be the case? So tumor expression is not has is very um, un, uh, is not a useful biomarker in our in, in our disease. I think that some of it because maybe low uh, percent of patients have tumor expression of PDL one, but in uh, several immunotherapy uh, monotherapy trials uh, in Asia, um, it was not a predictive biomarker at all. Brian, I've got to ask the question. I'm really sorry. Then I will. Start. Oh, for crying out loud! Go ahead. I, I, look, I'm really sorry. I really I've got to ask this question. <laughs> Was there ever a time that you felt the biomarker was really good in gastric cancer? And has that ship gone in the other direction? Or have you always been skeptical? Because in urethelial cancer, there was a time when we had biomarker labels and we were convinced the biomarker was going to work. And many people say we look back on that and we made a mistake. Are you folks, are you in that same boat where you've been disappointed? You mean PDL1 uh, specifically? Yeah, PDL1. Okay. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, the FDA and the rest of the a lot, many different uh, regulatory bodies, including the Japanese, uh, you know, regulatory bodies voted to say that pdl one is not a reliable enough biomarker because EU is the only sort of major um, regulatory body that decided to restrict by pdl one uh, and NCCN as well, I guess. But the FDA, many different uh, uh, countries in the world decided that because it's such a continuum of response and it's not black and white, uh, and also pdl one and gastric cancer is not a reliable biomarker, you can test the same sample multiple times and even show the same test to multiple pathologists and the CPS score will change. Hmm. Um, I mean, so I don't, I think in clinical trials, we got to continue to test and perhaps understand where it falls, but realistically in clinical practice, uh, it's, it's hard to use it. Uh, we in Europe don't get everything right. The Napoleonic Wars were a good example of that. Um, Brian, over to, over to you. Thanks for I that. Didn't, I didn't. I love. I love your, my European colleagues and have nothing against them. There's usually a, a European history lesson in these podcasts. Elena, you may not be familiar. It's, it usually goes over my head, so don't don't feel lost. <laughs> I was going to ask about sort of tail of the curve, right? So for ipinevo or immune therapy in general, obviously one of the allures is tail of the curve. Yeah. In renal, I think the role of IPI, it's sort of give it early or else it, you know, it's hard to give late, you know, it's toxic, probably doesn't salvage people. I think that's probably true. But if I look at the paper, to me, it looks like the tail of the curves for Nevo chemo and IPI Nevo are pretty similar. If anything, the Nevo chemo curves look higher. So I guess the question is really, do you think, you know, what's the role of IPI in that tail of the curve? It doesn't sound like it's going to be developed further, but just curious. No, I mean, I think it'll be hard to develop it. I think if I was to write Checkmate 649 now, I mean, we wrote it, you know, and got it, you know, like many years ago. But if I were to write it now, I wonder if we would have tried to combine low-dose IPI with full Fox Nevo um, and see if that, because I do think, uh, I agree with the renal cell guys that giving it early is probably, and you know, I've just, I've had enough people in clinic who I treated in later lines who I've changed their lives with dual combination, um, even in pdl one relatively low expressing tumors, that there's definitely something there, but it's not going to be a strategy for uh, large follow-up studies, well, particularly since now the field is moving toward dual um, tumor and, uh, you know, anti-PD-1 checkpoint inhibition. Our data with TRAS Pembro, for example, in HER2-positive disease, I mean, the responses here in Checkmate 649 with chemo IO, the delta, the improvement in overall response rate is 15%. We saw 23% improvement uh, with um, dual tumor and uh, checkpoint inhibition with zero additive toxicity, right? So you're not even hurting patients. And so do you, do you think anybody will investigate it be further, be it low dose, be it in biomarkers selected, or is that sort of asked and answered? You think the field's moved on, like you say, to other targets, if you will? Um, you know, I think uh, in SQUAM, right? In SQUAM, it may, uh, Checkmate 648 uh, demonstrate benefit, and that was in England Journal of Medicine. Oops. No? <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on. You missed the joke. It was good. <laughs> Uh, right, so because like even in Squame, where Nevo, it actually it's a lower dose of IPI, Nevo um, uh, 240 and an IPI 1, where like the survival is positive against chemotherapy alone, not chemo IO. The concern is in GI is that these patients, 
you know, you can lose them. They can drop off and uh, their survival is really in the first six to nine months is negatively impacted in all. Um, and, and so it's, it's tricky. You're like play, playing chicken with this disease. Is it going to take off and you're going to lose the patient or are they going to respond? Yeah, and I've got one more question before we stop. In kidney cancer, Brian spent a lot of time looking at RNA signatures with mixed results. Um, I'm not sure we're making huge progress there. In uh, bladder cancer, we've struggled with PDL1. We're now looking at TMB and CTDNA. We also like T-effector signatures, but we haven't really nailed the second generation of biomarkers yet. How are you getting on with second generation biomarkers in gastric cancer to predict response to immune checkpoint inhibitors? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, same basically situation. These RNA signatures, I mean, the problem is a lot of DNA is so stable and it's easier to study all of these other uh, you know, um, next generation biomarkers are just not, haven't been reliably useful and they're harder to do in uniform patient population. Uh, and also now since IO is available in all comers, it's going to, you know, you, you can't randomize a patient to non-IO containing arm anymore. So that ship has sailed. Um, I think I would say the, it would be helpful to go backwards and try to figure out a biomarker for chemotherapy resistance and if you know someone is not going to respond to chemotherapy, then try IO in those patients first. Because, right, um, I, think, uh, I think chemotherapy and this platinum signatures, I know in bladder, I mean, I talk to Dave Solid all the time, and we, we were trying to figure out what are these uh, signatures of platinum sensitivity. And in gastric, um, all of these newer, even germline analyses and so on have not shed light. But I would say that that would be a helpful um, next step for us. And maybe last question from me, you know, in, in RCC, we're trying to figure out the role of sequential immune therapy. Do you just get one shot up front? And then if you don't respond, you know, can you give, you know, salvage immune therapy, be it CTLA-4 inhibition or something else? Is that is that being tested in gastric cancer? You know, so chemo nevo up front sounds like standard of care. Yeah. It is, is. And looking at alternative checkpoint inhibition or something in the salvage setting. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, interest in it. And unfortunately, some of these combination strategies haven't panned out even in naive setting um, in second line. So in patients who were chemotherapy exposed, but not IO exposed, a lot of so far, you know, the data with uh, these combination uh, antibodies have not been great. Uh, but we're trying, you know, I think um, newer generation of ADCs, uh, perhaps in combination with immunotherapy, um, certainly CAR T cell therapy, but, you know, it's it's the next jump. I feel like Checkmate 649 was the easy, obvious solution. Mm -hmm. And then, but, it, you know, it's like all good things obviously are easy. Uh, and then the next thing will take us another 10 years to figure out. <laughs> Last question for me, um, the biomarker piece that you put together looked at MSI high and you had terrific results. Could you explain why MSI high is important in gastric cancer? We don't spend much time looking at it and why MSI high patients would respond to immune checkpoint inhibition. Yeah, that's my favorite topic. I think it's important in gastric cancer for two reasons. One is because in early stage disease, actually, there's data to suggest you can hurt them with chemotherapy. So uh, I've had you know numerous stories, and I just spoke to a colleague at a you know community center who experienced this. If you give uh, early stage gastric MSI gastric cancer chemotherapy, they may actually progress through treatment um, and then develop a resectable, uh, not resectable disease. So and then. 
stage four disease, and so these tumors inherently may be chemotherapy refractory in gastric cancer in particular. And now using circulating tumor DNA and other uh, MRD assays, we perhaps can s select and rescue those patients who after primary resection still need something. And we have a, a MRD study, minimal residual disease study to do that. For stage four disease, I mean, it's similar story to uh, the initial Alexandrov paper and other. It's just, they have a lot of, um, you know, new antigens and things to target. We know that in gastric outside of MSI patients, TMB is not a good predictor. Um, so it's really about MSI. Uh, these are mostly, you know, non-Lynch patients, but in some cases it's Lynch too. So we always do genetic testing. Uh, and the, I guess the big question is whether or not they need chemotherapy even, or if you can just do immunotherapy or even those patients with, we need dual anti-PD-1, anti-CTLA-4 blockade. This has been terrific. There are so many differences between what we do in bladder cancer and what we're looking at, because we like TMB. It seems to always work. Now, we've never tested it properly. And it looks like we're going in different directions. I think we've oversimplified this by assuming we're going to show similar results and similar tumor types. Mm -hmm. And just because you've not been successful with IP3, NEVO1, I think 901's got a good chance in bladder cancer being positive still. Wouldn't it be interesting if that was the case? And in bladder, you have HER2, so you should go after that uh, with uh, dual anti HER2, anti PD1. Yeah, well, I think Jonathan is doing that. Somebody in your building. Yes. <laughs> Elena, thanks. This has been great. I okay. learned, more about, learned more about GI cancers in those 20 minutes than I did in three years of fellowship in the, in the well, 20 years since. Always, always happy to come back. Thanks again for having um, me. Um, maybe fantastic. we should start a GI cancer podcast series. We maybe. should, but I, I don't know. I couldn't come up with anything better than your name. I mean, um, that's a pretty awesome I think awesome maybe gastromicos. I don't know. We'll talk about it. We'll talk yeah. about it. Gastromicos. Gastromicos. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> All, All right. right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.